0: Father in heaven, I thank you for this room, <clears throat> for all the people that are in this room, and for the way your spirit calls us and leads us here. Lord, uh, you promise rest. Help us understand and learn how to enter that rest. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a text, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28 says, come to me. This is Jesus talking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're actually on our 10th week of this series focusing on the message of the three angels. We're on the third message related to the third angel's message. There's a very special concept I want you to understand today and then implement into your life because This is very powerful. There's there's something I want you to see about the, the working of God and the victory of God, how he works and how he delivers and what he promises, what he's willing to give us. But in order to get to that, we need to start with the words of the third angel's message. So we go to Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. And we talked about this before. This is the reality of anyone who's living in the failure of man, any of the failed systems of man, the the political, the religious, the sociological, whatever they are. Any system you're living in that does not have God at the core and the victory of God as its center is fallen Babylon and will lead you to what's happened, happening to the people in this first part. So any of those folks, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Now notice these next words. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. When we won't come to Jesus, and we refuse to live in the victory of God. Then the experience I just read you is the experience we live day after day after day. But what happens if we come to Jesus for rest? Well, that's the last part. Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the hupomone of the saints. Did we overuse that word enough last Sabbath? Here is the patient endurance. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Here are those that are hanging on. And it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. All right, so I want to make a connection for you right now between the original text I read you, the one of Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary, and this Revelation 14, verse 12. And I want that connection to take place in the context of what Pastor Bernie told us several years ago. We quoted it. We said, Jesus saves and Jesus satisfies. You remember that construction? Jesus saves. We put our faith in Jesus. Jesus satisfies. We believe that the way he says to live is what will give us the best life. All right, so in Revelation fourteen twelve, that takes the form of Jesus saves is the faith of Jesus, and Jesus satisfies aligns with keep the commandments of God. But now let's connect it back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary. So come to me is the faith in Jesus. That's the Jesus saves comment. But then he says, take my yoke upon you. That's the Jesus satisfies part. So we see this parallel between this call of Jesus and the reality of the statement in Revelation 14, 12. He says, come to me, which aligns with faith in Jesus, aligns with Jesus saves. And he says, take my yoke, which aligns with the commandments of God and aligns with the idea that Jesus satisfies, that the life he tells us to live is the life we most want. All right, so we're gonna take all of these ideas and we're gonna try to pull them all together and connect them with the idea of rest and the sign of rest. But I don't wanna get ahead ahead of ourselves yet. In order to put this all together, we need to go back to the message of the first angel because all of these messages are connected. The first angel announces the victory of God. The second angel, the failure of man. The third angel says, make sure you're part of the victory of God, not a part of the failure of man. So what does the first angel say? Revelation 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. So we've been talking about this week after week. Three components of the victory of God. The everlasting gospel, which is centered in the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what he accomplished. And then when we put our faith in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, we become Christians. We become included in the promise of the everlasting gospel. So the three elements, everlasting gospel, the hour of judgment, and the call to worship the Creator God. So we're talking today about coming to Jesus, coming to the victory of God, and finding rest. And in order to get there, I want to walk us through two of the elements that are part of the victory of God. And I want to start with the phrase, worship the Creator God. Now to get to this, I want us to go all the way back to Genesis, because we're going to look for a pattern here in the great works of God. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All right, there's two things I want you to notice in this passage. Number one, God, by his own choice with no help from us, gave us life. Did you see that? It starts, it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Before he made us, we weren't there to advise him, were we? We had no part in our existing. That was God's choice. He said, let's do this. And because he said that, we came to be. We came to live. But now I want you to notice the second piece. God, by his own choice, with no help from us, gave us our purpose. Did you notice that as we read this? He said, first, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then he says, so that they may rule over this creation that we've made. God created us with the purpose of being stewards of his creation. And we were supposed to be fruitful and increase fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the rest of his creation. So do you see this this dynamic here? God creates us without our input and without our asking, and God gives us a purpose. That purpose is to be the stewards of his creation. Colossians 1, verse 16, For in him, Jesus, Jesus, All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, now catch this, through him and for him. Through him, you have your existence because of his will. For him, you have your purpose because of his will. You are created by God through Jesus for the purpose to which God through Jesus has assigned you. We could equate this with with Matthew 11. This is the yoke that Jesus asks us to take upon us. It is the God-ordained purpose for our lives. And this life for which God made you is equivalent to the statement, keep the commandments of God. This life is your divine purpose and this is the one we struggle with. The only reality that will give you satisfaction. See, sometimes we like to think we know what we want better than God knows what we want. But to take Jesus' yoke is to find rest and satisfaction. To keep the commandments of God is to find life and satisfaction. Jesus saves, Jesus satisfies. Do we believe that? This life that we've been created for has divine purpose. It's the only reality that will give satisfaction. And when we take the practical steps in this God-ordained life, we will have hupomone. We will persevere. We will keep going. And even though it might not seem like it, it might seem like the hard road, this life is the only life in which you will find Rest. Rest for your soul. But now let's go on. So we have God doing this act that we did not ask him to do or participate in. He did it for us because we could not do it. He created us and he gave us this divine purpose. Let's see if there's anything else we can learn. Genesis chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right. We're created by God who didn't need any help from us. And then on and he does it on the sixth day as the crowning achievement of his creation. And then, because God is so happy with what he's achieved, he rests for a full day. He steps away from his job of creating and running the universe and rests in satisfaction for a full day. Now, I want you to notice something here. It is not God doing something special on a day that makes the day a memorial because God does something special every single day. He is always working and always doing great things. The thing that makes a day unique is not that God did something. The thing that makes a day unique is that God rested, that he stopped. It is God stopping and resting that makes the day special and makes of it a permanent memorial. Now, I want you to notice something about this. The giving of the Sabbath was an act of grace from the very beginning. Because here's the deal, humans don't come along till the sixth day, right? What have they done to earn a rest? Nothing. They haven't done anything yet. Just sort of came to life. And the very first thing God gives them is rest. He says, before you know work, I want you to know rest. And he spends that first day with them. We see this in Exodus chapter 20 where we have the Ten Commandments, and and this is where we often look for the Sabbath commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God in it thou shalt not do any work thou nor thy son nor thy daughter thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day wherefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it so the reason for the sabbath the reason for the rest is the finished work of god in creation now here's what i want you to remember in this it was a work that we had no part in either doing or choosing to have done right god did this and god did a work that we could not do and then gave us a rest we did not earn it's amazing what he did And in this act of creation, God sets a pattern, I believe, of entering into the rest of God. The the third issue that the first angel tells us about, he says, everlasting gospel, judgment to come, and creation. Creation takes place first. And in it, God sets forth a pattern. And the seventh-day Sabbath is the sign of of the rest that is ours as created humans. This is an important point. The Sabbath is not the sign of Seventh-day Adventists. We didn't invent this in 1863 when we organized ourselves. And it's not the sign of Jews. It wasn't invented at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath is the sign of rest for all humans because God instituted it as a memorial of creation. So here we see the pattern of divine work. There is is a divine work in which we have no part, then we're given a divine purpose we did not necessarily choose, and then we're given a divine sign as a memorial. Now let's see if we see this pattern repeat anywhere else in the divine works that are a part of the first angel's message. So there's three of them, right? There's creation, and then the next one, at least chronologically, is the everlasting gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's, let's look at that, and let's do that by starting in Romans chapter five. Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, now I want you to notice this next phrase and hang on to it, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, hang on to that one, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Okay, pause right there for a second. Do you remember when we were reading the first part of the third angel's message, how it talks about the wrath of God being poured out? Do you see what it's saying right now? We can be saved from that first half of the third angel's message. How much more are we saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, hang on to that, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay, so this is the great work that's accomplished through Jesus that brings our salvation. Let's break this thing down. In this great work, do we have a work of God in which we have no part? Well, if you remember in the words I just told you from what I just read you, you're gonna have to answer that question yes, because it says... While we were still powerless, in other words, when we couldn't do it for ourselves, while we were still sinners, in other words, we hadn't gotten our act together, and while we were God's enemies, this work gets done. This work of saving us is a work of God in which we had no part. Jesus does the whole thing. Jesus saves us. He did it alone. And not only did we not help, we made it worse. We made it harder. In the hour he needed us most, even the best of us fell asleep. We weren't there for him. He did it for us. While we were sinners, while we were powerless, while we were the enemies of God, There's a prophecy about the victory of God through Jesus that I just love. It's Isaiah chapter 63, beginning in verse 1. It says, Who is this coming from Eden, from Edom, from Basra, with his garment stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, the victory of God, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those of one treading the winepress? And and the answer, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. Jesus did this for us. Without our help, I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. It was hard for Jesus. It was a battle, but he did it and won the victory for us. Ellen White has written in Desire of Ages, Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. We didn't help at all. He suffered the death which is ours, he did it alone, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes we are healed. All right. So this is the heart of the victory of God. This is the everlasting gospel. I told you there's three parts to the divine pattern. There's a divine work in which we have no part. There's a divine purpose which we do not choose, and there is a divine sign given as a memorial. Do we have this pattern in the work of Jesus? Well, I wanna suggest for sure we've got the first one, right? Jesus accomplishes this thing without our help. Do we have a divine purpose that's given? Well, have you ever heard this? Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Divine purpose given by God. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Your life and your purpose are not your own. For when Jesus saved you, he also claimed you. Or as Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies." So here's how it goes. We didn't choose for Jesus to come and save us. That was his choice. And we didn't help him do it. The only part that is ours is the decision to enter into the rest of the victory of God and live our lives for Jesus by embracing the divine purpose he's given us. Now again, if you're uncomfortable with this notion that God is assigning you things you're not sure you want, then I gotta take you back to what Pastor Bernie said. Maybe you believe Jesus saves, but do you believe Jesus satisfies? Do you believe what he chose for you is what you want? Do you believe he knows you well enough and cares about you well enough that what he's given you is what will bring you the most joy? So the everlasting gospel has a divine work in which we have no part. It has a calling to a divine purpose chosen for us by God. So that's two of the three components of the pattern, right, with creation? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a divine sign as well that brought together the idea of deliverance from the bondage of sin and death with the idea of rest? Do you remember how with the creation, there's there's God creates, He gives us life, He gives us a purpose, and then He gives us the sign, the Sabbath? Wouldn't it be neat if there was something like that associated with the second of these great workings of God, the victory of God, the, the act of Jesus that gives us salvation? And wouldn't it be cool if Jesus, after he'd finished his work of salvation, if he did something kind of like God did at the creation, you remember at the end of the creation, God rested. Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus did something like that after he finished the work of salvation? Well, wait a minute now. Let's think about this for a minute. Where did Jesus win the victory of God? Was it not on the cross when he said, it is finished? Was that not the declaration of the victory of God? And what did Jesus do the day after he said, it is finished? Do you remember? He rested in the tomb. Wasn't that interesting? That's just kind of like the creation model. Now. Now what day was that? I'm trying to remember. Jesus was crucified on the preparation day. And what day was he resurrected? That was on the first day. So what comes between those two? Isn't that interesting? The Sabbath. After God created the world, he rested on the 7th day. After Jesus saved the world, he rested on the seventh day. What makes a day special? I mean, it's really awesome that Jesus was resurrected on the first day and came back and went back to work, but that, Jesus getting back to work is not what makes a day special. It's resting that makes a day special. So we see here that all three of the components of the divine pattern are there for the creation and are there for salvation. There's the work that God does, there's the purpose that he gives, and there's the marker to remember. He does the whole divine work himself. He gives the divine purpose after the work is done, and then he rests on the Sabbath, and by resting establishes that day as a permanent memorial of his victory. This idea of the yoke or the keeping of the commandments of God is key to us being able to hupomone, being able to patiently endure. Now, now here's an interesting thing about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are actually given twice in the Bible. And you you can look this up later. And it's very interesting. They're given first in Exodus 20. And that's where we read them most. But they're also repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and read the Ten Commandments, they will essentially be identical except for one very significant change. And that difference is in the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. So I want to read that to you, and I want to connect it to what we've been talking about here. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine donkey, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou." Okay, to this point, it's a little different, but it's, it's pretty much the same message. But now watch the switch. In Exodus 20, the basis for Sabbath is creation, but watch what happens here. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. In Deuteronomy, the basis of Sabbath is deliverance. Do you see that? Deliverance. And what is this a foreshadow of? What was the deliverance of Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage where they could not save themselves? What was that a foreshadowing of? Was it not the grace that's ours through Jesus Christ? So in truth is not this commandment saying the basis of Sabbath is not just creation, but it's also your salvation through Jesus. That to truly enter into the rest of existence and the rest of deliverance is to be marked and honored on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a commemoration of deliverance from bondage, this foreshadowing of the great work of Jesus, all of God's greatest works. He does on his own without us. For his greatest works are always works that we desperately need, but we cannot do for ourselves. That's how it was at creation. If he hadn't made us, we wouldn't have lived at all. And that's how it was with salvation. If Jesus hadn't saved us, we wouldn't have been saved at all. So let's pull this all back together. The first angel announces the victory of God. A victory consisting of three things. Creation at the beginning, salvation in the middle, and deliverance through judgment at the end. Two of the things that the angel speaks of are complete. The third is ongoing until Jesus comes. In both of the great works of God that are completed, God has established a divine order for for how he does his work. He does the divine work himself without our help. He gives us a divine purpose as a result of his work. And he rests for a day commemorating the completed work. Then he calls us to come to him that we might find rest in the divine work and in the divine purpose that he has given. And he calls us to remember to rest in him by remembering the day he has established as a memorial to his great victories. And that day is always the same day, the seventh day, the Sabbath. Now, there's two ways to mess this up. It's easy to remember, two ways to mess this up. Wrong day, wrong way. Those are the two ways to mess it up. Wrong day, wrong way. The Sabbath isn't any old day we choose. It's the day that God has chosen. And the commandment's clear enough on this point. It's kind of interesting when we look at the Ten Commandments, there's, there's been a lot of, well, I, I agree in theory with the idea of Sabbath and arrest. I'll just take it whenever it seems good to me. I'll choose one. Okay. Well, let's apply that logic to some of the other commandments. Let's, let's pick on the seventh commandment. Uh, I agree that it's important to be married to one wife, but I'm going to pick a different one this week. Is that that going to work? Any old old woman will work for a wife? No. There's one, right? You commit to one. Same with the Sabbath. You commit to one. It's the one God chose. It's not any old day. So that's obvious enough. But the second way to miss, commemorate the wrong way. And this may be a danger for more of you here. If Sabbath for you is a work that earns you standing with God, then Sabbath for you will never be a rest. See that, right? If Sabbath is a work, it's not a rest. Because those are kind of opposites, right? Work, rest. If Sabbath is what you're doing to be saved, then Sabbath will never be for you the sign that you are saved. You see that? Sabbath is the divine sign that reminds us that two of the divine works of God mentioned in the first angel's message have been completed for us by God without any help from us, creation and salvation. The third item mentioned, the hour of judgment, will also be a work completed by God without us. So don't run ahead and tell God who he should judge and don't go out there and judge. Not our job. God does these great works. And we rest. We enter the rest of the Sabbath to which Jesus calls us. The rest of the victory of God. So here's the point. If the Sabbath is for you a glorious rest in the finished divine works of God that give you both life and salvation, then you are truly entering the Sabbath rest and you will be a hupomoneing saint. You will be persevering because you get rest in your life. And you will be living in the victory of God. Matthew 11, come to me, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear Jesus calling you today to enter this rest? Jesus saves, and the life he gives, the the purpose he gives, the life to which he calls us, the yoke, the commandments of God are the only life that will bring you satisfaction. If you're weary and heavy burdened, it's because you're trying to find satisfaction somewhere else. Do you notice what it said when it described those who are a part of the failure of man, the description in the third angel's message. I I pointed it out as I read it, but do you remember what it says specifically? It says, they have no rest day or night. What is one of the clearest ways to see the difference between the hupomoneing saints and the suffering sinners? Rest. Rest. So come to Jesus. He's calling you.